kids can be dismissed downstairs for Children's Church. So we'll be going with Mr. Dan and Miss Karen this morning. Downstairs last week, we, uh, after the service, we had noticed a lot of kids had ran downstairs. And um, there was about 36 of them in Children's Church. So uh, if you're looking for a ministry to serve, that's the one. Um, just a little pointer there. Uh, Mark chapter 2, of course, is where we're going to be as we've already read ahead. And I pray that our prayer this morning would be that all we have is Christ. Amen. All we have is Christ. Everything that we could ever want, wish for, and grasp would be that Christ would be ours, our Savior and our guide. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. I had mentioned already, we're going to look at this morning the power of Christ. The power of Christ. And uh, before we get any farther, I think, I think what makes sense to do is to look at what we've already seen in Mark. As things kind of transpire, as things are written, as things are happening, I think it would be smart for us to reflect on what we've already seen, therefore to see what is coming. So as we look back to the last couple of weeks, we see Jesus in action. Last week specifically, we ended the chapter, it kind of gives context to what is happening in chapter 2, is that Jesus heals the man with leprosy, right? We, we see the compassion of Jesus as he approaches this man who was sentenced to death with this, this life sentence of a disease, but Jesus approaches him, has compassion on him, even touches this man. What an amazing passage about God's grace and God's compassion, how he reaches into our lives. And then we see Jesus instructs him, as Dan mentioned last week, some specific things to do and to not do. He wanted him to not go around and tell everybody what had happened, but to go back to the, the, the temple, as Moses had instructed, to get cleansed so that people would see you no longer are uh, an outcast, if you will, by disease, and that you could be around in uh, fellowship with other people. And so we see that this man does not do that. (laughs) This man goes around and blazes or publishes everything that Jesus had done for him, which, uh, like you and I, we we might have done probably the same thing. We would be overflowing with what Christ had done in our life or has done in our life, but he did not want that to happen for many reasons we see or many reasons we can assume. But because of that, Jesus had to leave the city because there was too many people flocking him. He he wasn't able to accomplish the Father's will. with all these people in, in, in different areas overwhelmingly seeking him. And so we see uh, in our text today that Jesus is again comes back to Capernaum after he had left at the end of the last chapter, but it did not take long till it was noised or it was known that he was back, <laughs> that he was in a house preaching, whether that was his house or Peter's house, there's some speculation there, but he was back. And that spread like wildfire, that Jesus had made it back to Capernaum and there was a gathering. Before I get too far in the text, I want to look at what we have seen as far as the authority of Christ. As we study the book of Mark together and we read through it and we preach through it, we see that the authority of Jesus is kind of a theme at the beginning of the chapter. We're seeing Jesus has authority in many ways, and we see his power in many ways. The first one we saw in chapter 1 was that Jesus taught with great authority. Like no other teacher, not like the scribes or the Pharisees, but he taught with a greater wisdom, not of earthly, but of heavenly. And we see that Jesus was stood out so much farther, just the fact that he was the son of God, but that he had spoken in a way that was very unfamiliar. He spoke in a way of grace and truth, of love, but also with command. 
repent and believe. He spoke with, in ways that they had never heard before. We see Jesus' authority not only in the way he taught, but in the way that he cast out demons, right? We see that that happens later in chapter 1, that uh, a man which is possessed, as Jesus comes up to him or approaches the man, the, the demon recognizes Jesus and says, stay away from me. <laughs> Don't come near me. He understood the authority of Jesus. He even refers to Jesus as the Holy One of God, realizing that this was the God-man. This was the Messiah. He's set apart from teachers. And Jesus commands the demon to leave this man, to get out of this man, and the demon obeys him. And, Jesus, or, and, the, and the disciples even say, what kind of man is this that the demons even obey Jesus? Great authority yet again. And then last week, we looked at uh, a couple things that led up to show us Jesus' um, authority over healing. We see that Jesus approaches, or Peter's mom is sick with a fever, and it was concerning her health. It was concerning the people around her. And so they, they bring Jesus to her, and he grabs her by the hand and lifts her up, and she's healed all of a sudden. And then later in the text, as the chapter concludes, we see, as I mentioned already, the man with leprosy coming to find Jesus. Approaching him cautiously, probably, but coming unto Jesus because he knows that this man is different. This man has authority. And as he comes to him, Jesus, again, reaches out, touches the man with leprosy, and heals him of his, his ailment, of his death sentence of leprosy. And so we've seen the authority of Jesus. We've seen it in his teaching. We've seen it in his authority over uh, demons, casting them out, over sickness. And today... We will see his authority and his ability to forgive sins. The authority that Jesus has exercised already up to this point are supernatural, are life-changing. They bring us to the edge of our seat because no one else can do these things. But what I would want you to see this morning is that forgiving sins, though, is a whole different territory. It's a whole different uh, supernatural ability, a whole different territory in Mark and for us. Because forgiving sins is next-level ability. It's not dealing with the, the natural, but the supernatural. It's not dealing with the, the physical, but the spiritual. And so we see here, it's Jesus is going to take away sickness, but he's far more superior to the point where he can remove the condemnation of sin out of one's life. Because you see, with forgiveness, you and I deal with forgiveness, right? We forgive each other when we wrong each other, hopefully. Uh, we, we forgive one another when we have done one another wrong. But we have to keep doing this kind gesture because we continue to do one another wrong. And we continue to have to come back to this to make relationships right. But with Jesus, with the God-man, we see that his forgiveness is infinite. His forgiveness doesn't just restore a relationship in speech, but in communion, in every aspect of it. His forgiveness doesn't just impact today, but eternity. And it's a once-and-for-all forgiveness. It's a once-and-for-all justification, as we will see today. So I want to see the power of Christ this morning in our time together. Our big idea, as we typically follow this outline, goes like this this morning. The authority of Christ has been seen in his teaching, in casting out demons, in healing sicknesses, and today in his ability to forgive sins. And this has major implications as we look to Christ for salvation as he offers forgiveness to us indefinitely, ultimately, superiorly. So I want to pray again, and then we'll jump into our text today. God in heaven, we thank you again that we can come to you, we can come to your house, and we can worship in spirit and in truth, and singing and in preaching. 
God, I pray that you would, as uh, Seth read earlier, open our eyes that we, we may behold wondrous things from your law today, that we will be uh, blown away, not by man's speech, but by the word of God. And God, we pray today that you would teach us about yourself today, glorify yourself today, impact our lives because of yourself today. And God, we just pray that you would show us from your word what we have need of. And God, we pray that we would be uh, hearers that have ears to hear and to receive your word with meekness today. God, we pray that you would do much through the, our time together. Teach us, instruct our hearts, help us today. In your name we pray, amen. Number one this morning, I want to look at the power of Christ in forgiveness. The power of Christ in forgiveness. We had seen, I already mentioned it a little bit, that Jesus' ministry was growing uh, by, by location, by travel, and by numbers. People were flocking to Jesus because, guess what? When the man heals a man with leprosy, that changes some things. That's a game changer. That opens some eyes to some things that they had never seen before. And Jesus was getting flocked to. He couldn't go anywhere without a crowd. I read a, a, a post this week about uh, some NBA players, some basketball, professional basketball players uh, that were complaining about how they just can't go anywhere without being taken a picture of, wanting someone, to, somebody wanting to hug them and get a picture with them or get an autograph or some sort of thing like that. And I thought that was kind of funny as we're covering this passage. I'm sure Jesus, in a much greater way, was having the same issue. People just wanted to be around him. He couldn't go anywhere without a flocking crowd following him around. Because of his miracles, because of his authority and what he has already accomplished up to this point, many were flocking to him. I think of when Jesus later in the Gospels uh, stops the storm, stops the waves and the wind and the rain and the storm, and the disciples say to him, what kind of man is this that he can even command the wind and the waves to obey him? He had much greater power than anyone else we could ever imagine. And so I want to see the scene set here today. He's in Capernaum. He's back in Capernaum. He was uh, in a house preaching, and it was noised. It was known that Jesus was back in town, and people were handing out tracts left and right. Getting, right. Uh, they were inviting people into the house. They wanted to be in the house where Jesus was. In verse 2, it tells us this. And straightway, many were gathered there together, insomuch there was no room to receive them. No, not about the door. And he preached the word unto him. I want to stop there and just think about this. The, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And that word is preaching unto people. Just an amazing thought. Jesus is preaching to a household of people, the greatest preacher, preaching the word of God about himself to other people. What an amazing thought. The most important aspect in his ministry was preaching the word. And that's what he was caught doing. A house full of people we see. It's crowded. There's no room. You ever been somewhere where it's crowded and you just like want to get there and it's just like anxiously trying to fight your way through a crowd? Uh, I think of sporting events. When you go to a big sporting event where you just like, you're like shoulder to shoulder or on our missions trip when we go to Manhattan and we're walking through the streets of Manhattan and it's like, you know, grab a buddy, you know, <laughs> hold on because we're getting ready to get lost. You know, these crowds are huge. They're flooding this house because they want to see what Jesus has to say and what Jesus has to do, not as the scribes, in the Pharisees. And then we see, as the, as the passage continues, and then they come unto him, a few guys, bring one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him because of the press, because of the crowds, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. What an amazing group of guys, right? I want friends like that. Uh, this guys want... They notice Jesus is in the house. He is preaching. He is teaching. He is doing great things. They know a guy. 
whether it's a friend or whether they just know a guy, that he is sick, he is paralyzed, he cannot move, he cannot help himself, nor can he get to Jesus. These men take it upon themselves to get this man to Jesus. They load him up on his bed or whatever that might have looked like. I think of kind of like a stretcher-like idea, and they're carrying this man around, probably not as neat and organized as we would think of one today. But they bring this man, but they bring this man, and then they find themselves in this crowd, and they cannot break their way through, certainly not carrying somebody with them. And so they're, they're trying to get to Jesus, but they cannot do it because of the crowd. So they do what many would not even think of doing. They get on the roof, which would have been a flatter roof in, today, in, in that day's society, and they start removing maybe whatever materials the roof were, whether it was sticks and mortar or whatever material it might have been. They start making a hole. They're making a way. And the owner of the house is cringing because he's seeing stuff fall. And he's like, oh, no, <laughs> this is not good. You know, and they're opening a spot to drop this man down through the roof. Desperate times call for desperate measures. They were desperate to get this man to Jesus because they knew of his, of his power and great authority in which he spoke with. Pause here for a minute. May it be said of us that we are desperate to get to Jesus. When we rise up in the morning, we're desperate to get into his word. It's desperate to get into what he has spoken already for us. When we seek him in prayer or in distress, I hope that we are desperate to get to the one with all authority and all power as we see here today. And then, let us also be desperate to show others, to bring others to hear about this Jesus, that our need for Christ would be seen in every desire we have. And so we see this paralyzed man can't even speak. He doesn't even give any words. He's so in shock. He's been dropped through the ceiling. He's, I'm sure there's some like, Jesus is continuing to teach, and maybe he stops, and this scene is happening. He's coming down through the ceiling. It's kind of like a weird moment, but a great moment. He's in shock. He gets dropped down in front of Jesus, and he can't even speak. He can't even babble any words. But in verse 5, we see Jesus speak, speaks first. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Jesus saw the faith of those lowering him down, but he also saw the faith, most likely, of the one being dropped down through the room. He didn't just meet the need, though, that they were initially going there for. Their need and their mind was the inability to walk. The paralyzed a factor of this man's life that had played a huge detriment to him, that had been his, thing that, his crutch that he leaned on, rightfully so, that he could not do certain things. But what we see here is Jesus knows best. Jesus is, is taking care of the need that he has. As his nature as God, he knows what his need is. And so he does something greater here. He forgives this man because of faith of his sins. He pardons this man from his sins, no longer to be condemned, but to be now forgiven. And we read this story at times, and we are excited about the last few verses of not the verse 9 through 12, because that's where it gets to the, the, the um, further implications of what takes place. But I think we ought to pause here for a minute and see that this is the greatest verse, the greatest highlighted portion that we need to focus on today. Because if Jesus merely just meets a physical need, and then the man dies and separated from God forever, condemned to hell, then Jesus didn't meet the ultimate need. But Jesus teaches us the greatest value one can have is not a physical need met so much as the spiritual. The soul to be saved, to be forgiven, to be healed. Because if Jesus only heals bodies but not souls, he is not sending them off for eternity. He's not sending them off for a greater life to come, but maybe just a temporary life. 
And so we see some practical applications from this passage, from this verse today. Because this is what Christ does for each of us that come to him in faith. Faith is met with forgiveness. It's met with justification, forgiveness, no longer condemned but truly forgiven, unlike any other forgiveness. And if we, if we, if we see this and we just go, oh, good for that guy, let's keep reading, We're, we've totally missed it because this is our greatest need in life too. This is our greatest need in life too. Whatever else you might have need of, this is the first and primary need, that you are forgiven. You are no longer condemned. Uh, condemned. It's not to be freed from an ailment, but to be forgiven and freed from our sin sickness which leads us to be separated from God forever. So our greatest need for us, for our spouse, for our kids, for our extended family, for our neighbors, is that they are forgiven by God. It's not anything other than the fact they have been forgiven by God, the greatest need we all have. This is the only, the only reason we can truly forgive others, because Christ has truly forgiven us. He's given us mercy and in spite of us not deserving it. Therefore, we can also be mercy deliverers to others who do not deserve it, who have wronged us in ways that we think we can never forgive them. But when we realize what Christ has done for us, how Christ has forgiven us, that changes the ballgame. That changes the platform on which we stand on. And we can forgive others because of his forgiveness to us. Therefore, showing Christ to others. In comparison, forgiveness from God, justification from God, pardoning from sin by God, is the greatest thing, and nothing else in comparison matters. That's the greatest need of our hearts. Warren Wearsby wrote, Forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. It meets the greatest need. It costs the greatest price. And it brings the greatest blessings and the most lasting results. So today I ask, have you experienced the forgiveness of Christ today in salvation? That's our greatest need today. I'm, t- I'm talking to many Christians in the room. I understand that. But oftentimes we get so far removed past this that our actions don't reflect this. And so I want us to refocus and think of our salvation and how Christ has changed us because it's not about being baptized or being a good person or growing up in the right family or any of these things. But has Christ forgiven us? Have we come to him in salvation? I listened to a, a message recently a couple weeks ago, from a pastor that was preaching uh, to a, a large crowd, a very large crowd. And he was talking about many who had made professions of faith later in life because growing up they had heard everything but the gospel and they believed everything but the gospel and they thought they were good enough and they thought they were going to make it into heaven, but it was not until they realized their desperate need for the gospel, the salvation that Jesus provides. That's not in works. It's not in any of those things. It's not anything else apart from Christ alone. And it's not just understanding or knowing who Christ is in scriptures, but that Christ has forgiven you, that you have come to him, that you have come to him. And so in this message I was listening to, he mentioned these older uh, these people who had been in church for seasons and seasons of their life, maybe their entire life, that had grown up in the 30s and 40s and 50s, and they were just now coming to faith. And I, and I thought in my mind, that could be true anywhere. That could be true everywhere. Because we might be too embarrassed to admit that maybe I did not understand, and maybe I did not get it or completely fathom what the gospel is. And that might be awkward for someone to come forward or come back to the back and talk to Dan or I about salvation, but guess what? You think it was a little bit awkward for this man being lowered through the ceiling to come before Jesus for his greatest need? 
I would argue that that was far more awkward than it is to, 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 to be worried about the thoughts of others just because you've been here a while or you've claimed Christ for a while but really misunderstood. But do we have, have we experienced this kind of forgiveness? We should be, if so, the friends hurrying and desperately trying to get others to hear about Christ, to tell them about Christ, to bring them to God's word, to show them who Jesus is. That is what is true. And so we see in the first five verses the power of Christ in forgiveness. If, the, if that passage stopped there, it would be good enough, but it continues. Verse number six we look at this morning. But there were certain, but's always a bad word as you follow a good, thing, a good phrase, but there was a certain of the scribes sitting there, reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit, they had so reasoned within themselves, he said to them, why reason these things in your hearts? Reasoning, questioning in their hearts, could this be true? Why does this man speak such lies? They say, who else but God can forgive people from their sins? Because they didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was God. They doubted in their hearts. Now, they used the right kind of logic, right? No one but God can forgive sins. They're right on that point. They ought to examine and test the new teacher to make sure Jesus is teaching truly. But their error was in misunderstanding who Jesus was as God the Son, as he had authority to forgive sins. And so we see this, this phrase, Jesus perceiving in his spirit, knew in his spirit that there was doubt present, and not only doubt, but even a false message of this guy speaks lies. This guy is untrue. See, we may not say these things out loud, but how often do we, even in our own spirits, doubt God? Doubt what he's doing. We look down at our noses at the Pharisees and say, these guys had it all wrong. But oftentimes, the doubt in our lives is there. We don't trust fully. We aren't fully convinced in our mind, but we understand that Jesus is God. He knows all things. He knows each of our thoughts, and he knows what is going through our mind as well. And so we see the power of Christ as deity. We see his deity as God, the God-man, because he knows all things. See, these guys could have learned of Jesus of Nazareth, as the, indeed the Savior of the world, with authority to forgive sins and even their own sins. But we see there's a problem. They came to the preaching meeting. They came to the meeting with a wrong spirit, not a repentant heart. They came with a critical spirit and not a repentant heart. And as I read this, how often do we come into church with a critical mindset and not a repentance? God, help me. God, change me. God, speak to me. Instead, we let things in our mind, not necessarily against who's preaching, hopefully, um, but just things in our life that are going on. We have to come with a receptive heart to receive the word with meekness because God can read our hearts when they are evil, when they are sinful, and when doubt is present. And many today doubt Jesus. They doubt God, unbelievers. They doubt the gospel, the scriptures. And we understand that it's the foolishness to those who don't believe. Paul tells us this. But those who do believe, it's the power of God. It is the hope in our lives. It is the strength that we cling to. But just because some doubt, like these Pharisees, doesn't change the fact that Jesus is God. The gospel is our only hope. And Jesus did truly die and rise again in three days. And he lives evermore. 
He is God no matter what the scribes and Pharisees thought. The reality is true. This man had been forgiven by God the Son, and he is no longer condemned but is now forgiven. He has been graced with everlasting life. This is the power of, of God, power of Christ as God in his deity. And we have to be confident of this truth today because our salvation hangs on the fact that Jesus is God. If Jesus is not God, none of us are saved today. That is so key to our understanding of Scripture. So do we believe this today? Not just believe it, but have confidence in this. The truth that Christ is God, not partly God, but fully God, and fully man who plays a major factor in death and resurrection. The power of Christ as deity. Though there were many uncertain, many doubting Pharisees and scribes in our passage today, Jesus still was making the difference in those who had ears to hear. Those that were there with a repentant heart, ready to make life change for the man who was paralyzed. And so that was a short point. Number three, the power of Christ to heal. As we continue on in the passage, we get to verse number nine. Jesus perceives in his heart and his spirit that their hearts are not right. They are doubting. They are even saying things to each other like, this man's a liar. This man doesn't know what he's talking about. This man is not right. So Jesus asks them a question. Jesus is the ultimate question asker in Scripture. If you ever need to, to just like chuckle but also get some answers, go read Jesus' questions, okay? He tells the man, which is easier for me to tell him his sins are forgiven or to rise up and walk? I want to take a quick poll this morning. Who thinks it's easier for Jesus to forgive his sins? I need some participation, please. Nobody look around. Uh, who thinks it's easier for Jesus to say, rise up and walk? Right, we got 17 out of 100 people participating. Great. Uh, no, um, it's okay. I understand. It's a little awkward. Um, but as I was thinking about this, I originally thought the second one. But think about it. The internal forgiveness no one can know for certain. So which was easier that he said your sins are forgiven? They don't know. They can't see through his heart and see through his spirit what his conditional state before God is. And so he says, hey, yeah, I have, I have maybe done the easy thing in your minds, but I'm about to, to do and say the hard thing again. He says, so that you might know, that you might know in verse 10, that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. What a wonderful statement for us today. What a wonderful reminder to us today that it is not ba- salvation is not based on anything other than our faith in Jesus Christ. And it's also a reminder that we have one life, one life on earth to come to that knowledge and faith. That once our time up on earth is done, there is no second chances. But what we believed on earth, what we had faith in on earth, determines our future reality after this life. So he says in verse 10, that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I say unto thee, the drum roll probably started. Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine house. This man gets up, as Mark uses this word immediately a lot. He says immediately, he does just as he is told. He rises up, and he walks, and he goes into his house. He leaves, he walks out of there, so he gets dropped through the ceiling. I just imagine the scene taking place, because I'm, I just enjoy like, the, the structure of the Gospels here, where like, they, they, these guys just drop this dude through the ceiling. They're hoping they don't have to pull him back up, right? Like, please, Jesus, like, please let him go. Uh, you know, um, please heal this man. But he walks out healed. He walks out changed. He walks out forgiven. 
Remember the last time Jesus performed a miracle with the guy with the leprosy? He told him, don't do these things. This guy followed suit. This guy did as he was instructed to do. And the reaction from the crowd is amazing. Verse 12, immediately he arose. He took up his bed and he went forth before them all. Insomuch, they were all amazed. And the most important thing happened. They glorified God, saying we never saw it on this fashion before. The reaction is amazing because all the glory went to God, which was the root cause of the reason this took place. Referring to even the miracles and healings that Jesus already performed, he says, we've never seen it like this before. They had never seen sins forgiven, and they had not seen a, a, a healing in this dramatic fashion. But I want us to understand something. As I was studying this, uh, I was curious to see if there's any significance between why he forgave him first versus healed him first, if there's anything in there, anything to understand. And yes, there actually is. See, the Pharisees often would attribute, you're probably familiar with this if you're familiar with the Gospels, that anytime someone had an ailment or a sickness, that it was because of something they had done. Because of some sinful thing they had done, God cursed them and said, boom, you're paralyzed. Or, or whatever that looked like. Or maybe the fathers before them, maybe as they were born a certain way, they had this belief that they were that way because of what they or someone else had done. We don't find that in Scripture anywhere. And I would argue that he was born this way for the glory of God to be displayed, as we see here in our text today. But the significance here is that his sins were already forgiven. So the Jews oftentimes, if Jesus performed a miracle... He would, they would attribute the sickness and that, those such things. The, the, the scribes and the Pharisees would say, well, he can't do these things because this man got this disease, got this illness, got this ailment because of something he did. But Jesus already addressed the sin sickness, the sinfulness of this man, and he has been forgiven. Now he rises him up and fixes and heals him physically. So the Jews had nothing to fall back on, nothing to point to and accuse Jesus of because he had already dealt with the very thing which they would have attributed his sickness to. And so Jesus probably blew their minds. He disarmed them from having a, a solid argument in their minds towards Jesus. As he heals this man, they can't even defend it but just probably leave their mouths wide open and see what took place. Jesus forgives and then Jesus heals Another thing I was thinking about as I was studying this is that Jesus always prioritizes the spiritual over the physical. Jesus always prioritizes the spiritual over the physical. There's nothing greater, there's nothing more, more important as emotional, psychological, physical, but spiritual over the physical. As we read verse 10, backtrack a little bit with me. He says this phrase that you might know, have confidence in. The Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I was interested in that, that phrase, the Son of Man, because that, that's a commonly used term for Jesus in the, in the Gospels, in the New Testament. We see this, I think some have said like 80 times. I think the, if the Google search will tell you 80-ish times that's, that phrase is mentioned. You can do that research for yourself if you like. But we understand that this Son of Man does not refer to a meaning of like a common man or anything simple. But it refers back to the book of Daniel where this phrase, this, this term is used. And it says, the son of man, as the, he's like this king of glory, the one who will one day come back and judge the, the world. That's the term that it's used for. That's the, the meaning that it's used for. <clears throat> that the son of man, Jesus, a triumphant and a glorious title given to Christ, as he will one day make all things new and bring those to himself and judge the world. But we see here that he uses this term. And I just marvel at the fact that he uses this term as he conquers this man's sin, 
As he forgives this man's sin, he uses the very terminology of one that is triumphant, one that is glorious, one that he's the, he's the king of glory. And he forgives this man. He gets all the glory from it. And so he didn't, re, he didn't refer to a term that oftentimes the Messiah would be, would be uh, really opposed by the scribes and get them all up in arms, but he uses a term by way of authority and glory, and one that shows the triumphant king, and he shows this to us today. And so we started the passage off with Jesus forgiving a man in only a way that God can, to healing a man incapable of walking that was very dependent on other people, to now a man that lives free of condemnation and free from being dependent on man, but now on God. What a transformation. Jesus makes a total difference so that we can see the power of God in his forgiving of sins and even to heal this man from what he was dealing with as far as his ailment goes. And so as we wrap our minds around this text today and we think about the power of Christ, you can go a million different directions and see the power of Christ all throughout Scripture, all throughout your life, all the difference he's made in your life. But the number one way we see the power of Christ is through salvation and how we experience that today. Are you living in condemnation or are you living as one who has been forgiven? Because these are significantly different positions in Christ. Romans 8.1 tells us, there is now, therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. If you have been forgiven, if you are one of, a child of Christ, are you living and resting in the power of Christ? It's one thing to claim something. It's one thing to live in it too. Have we been freed, forgiven, because we have a God, the, the Spirit of God living within us? The very Spirit of God that saved us, that God brought about to fill us, to indwell us, is the one that lives within us. So that, in the Spirit of God, we can live in obedience to His Spirit, see the power of Christ in victory over sin, and courage over fears, and in confidence over cowering. And we can share this good news of Christ with others, because this is indeed the deepest and greatest Desperate need of everyone's soul that's ever been born. Has your greatest need in life been met? Have you repented and believed the gospel? And if so, are you living in the reality of all the heavenly blessings that Christ gives to us, blesses us with now, so we are equipped to live now, not in perfection, but striving to be like Christ? You know, I, I love the gospels. I love the book of Mark specifically. Because we see how Jesus has compassion towards one another, and he speaks into people's lives exactly where they are. See, this man thought in his mind that the greatest need he had was his legs to work, which I would indeed say that's, that's important. I, would, I, I appreciate that my legs work, right? That's an important thing. We, we crave those things, and whenever we have something that keeps us from doing those things, it drives us a little bit crazy because we want to be able to move and, and live and, you know, and do everything how we would like to do. But Jesus meets him right where he is in his spiritual state of mind that he was not one of his. And my hope today is that God will show himself to us in our greatest need, whether that is salvation or whether that is a subtle or heavy reminder that you're a child of God and, and you realize the weight of that, the spiritual blessing of that, what he is doing through your life, that you don't have to live in condemnation. Condemnation lives with its head down. But those who have been pardoned live their head up. They can truly live life, 
truly following God's Spirit, living in confidence of the very word that we say we believe, the word we preach weekly. Those that are child of God can live in that reality. As we started this morning, we started with the big idea, and I want to refer to that, and then I want to give you some song lyrics that I think are really in tune with what we've been talking about today that will be a help to us as we read those. The big idea was the authority of Christ has been seen in his teaching and in casting out demons and the healing sickness, and today we saw the ability to forgive sins. This has major implications as we look to Christ for salvation as he offers forgiveness indefinitely. I tend to like to go to song lyrics oftentimes. I'm not a poem guy. I'm a song lyric guy instead, so uh, that's what you're stuck with. Um, this song I've been listening to recently is called God Really Loves Us, and the, the, the lyrics of two of the stanzas go like this. His mercy is enough. His grace is sufficient. So come if you're needing forgiveness or healing. His mercy is enough. Oh, and this is our hope. The cross has spoken. Death is no more. Christ is the Lord, and that is our hope. Let's pray together. God in heaven, we pray that you would open our eyes to your word continually. God, I pray that something from today's message would stand out in our heart and our mind. God, that we would reflect on your word and respond to it as need be. God, I don't, I don't know the spiritual condition of everyone's soul in here, but you do. God, it's none of my business. It's, none of my, uh, it's not my uh, job but God, I pray that you can bring those, those that don't believe to a saving knowledge today by, by asking questions, by saying, how can I know? Maybe someone in here has grown up, even in this church, has even heard the gospel, but that's not what they're leaning on for salvation. That's what they're holding on to. That's not their hope in life. God, I pray that you'd bring those that don't believe to salvation, and I pray that you would bring those who have come to a point of salvation to walk in that, to walk worthy in the matter we have been called to that we would be, as the friends of this man, that we would be eager to get to Jesus, get others to Jesus. Because this is our only hope. God, don't let it be said of us that we never open our mouths about these things, about the things of Christ, the only hope in which we live with, the only purpose in which we live with, to make Christ known here and around the world through missions. God, I pray that you would help us today, that if we are doubting in our minds, things that God is doing in our lives, that we realize that he does all that he pleases, and he is righteous, he is perfect, he's the creator and sustainer. There's nothing he does that he makes a mistake in doing. God, I pray that we'd have greater confidence in this Jesus, in the Son of God, as he, we see him in his ministry in the book of Mark. God, help us today to reflect and respond on what we've heard from your word. God, give us a greater desire to know you, to grow in grace and in truth. And God, I pray that if anyone here is not a Christian, does not name the name of Christ, they do not have their uh, name or themselves pardoned and forgiven by God, that they would come and speak to someone and have the boldness to do so. God, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this time that we've been able to gather together. God, I pray you be with the fellowship afterwards. Encourage our hearts. Encourage each of these saints together today. In your name we pray. Amen. As we all stand up and Dave comes to lead us in a song of reflection, uh, I just, my prayer is if, if reflect and respond, however, however that looks. Um, if you're not a Christian, I would, I would beg you not to leave those doors without talking to someone because the gospel is good news for those that believe it. 
And so I'll be in the back. I know there's many others that would be willing to have a conversation with you if, you'd, if you're more, from, more comfortable with that. But uh, please, don't leave here today without that reality being known. And then secondly, um, be, in, be just praying for your own heart as this time of reflection as Dave comes and leads us in this song.